Good morning. My name is Jean Asakura, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in the congregation, and I'm part of the leadership team for next Saturday's Day of Hope. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Ruler of all words, whose glory surrounds our unseeing eyes, our muffled hearing, and our dulled emotions, come to awaken us to the mystery of your will. Speak to us a word of truth that reveals our deceit and leads us away from falsehood. Touch us with healing grace that allows us to admit our woundedness and accept the comfort you offer. Let your spirit move among us so we may recognize your presence in one another and in our own lives. May, we respond, may our response to you be faithful and our prize, praise genuine. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? <clears throat> I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let us worship God. The proof of God is God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Confidence in that grace and love of God, let us pray our confession together. God of all hope and blessing, hear us as we turn to you with all our hearts. We have not been faithful to your word of love. We have hurt others and held grudges. We have been jealous and deceitful and ungrateful. We have turned from your word and resisted the Holy Spirit. We have wanted our inheritance from you without the responsibilities that go with it. O oh God, we plead for your forgiveness and healing that we might respond with joy to the spiritual blessings you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, we are called to believe that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Forgiven by God, let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us greet one another in Christ's name. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We're glad that you have come in from the heat and now experience a good cold Presbyterian service. No, uh, (laughs) we are glad you're here. We do hope you will find this to be a warm place and that you will find here the right hand of fellowship and a chance to get to know God's people. We encourage you to fill out the friendship paths which are in the pews and uh, you will have the chance, perhaps at looking at that sheet, to find a name you don't know and to welcome that person into our life here. Another chance to do that will be to join us next door in the Palm Center, in the air-conditioned Palm Center, where you can have some refreshment and uh, a chance to um, get further connected with one another uh, for us to enjoy some more fellowship. Uh, We are anticipating a big day here in the life of Church of the Palms this Saturday, Day of Hope. You hear about Day of Hope all the time, and it is now upon us. For those of you who are visiting with us today, what is Day of Hope? Day of Hope is the day when Church of the Palms turns this whole campus over uh, to families in our community that are either homeless or near homeless, and especially to their children, where we give the chance to outfit them for school, including medical exams, dental exams, eye exams, to give them the chance to get a good backpack full of school supplies, among a bunch of other things, gift cards for clothing and so on and so forth. So it is a really an amazing day that hopefully you have signed up to be a part of. You still a chance to do that. You can do so after the service. Page nine lists all the things that are happening this afternoon as we train ambassadors and all those others who are going to be participating in the Day of Hope. And uh, you could just show up and sign up, and we would love to have you. We've got well over a couple hundred people who are already uh, at work uh, preparing for Day of Hope. So we hope that you will join us after the service today. We will be having stations in the Narthex and also in the Palm Center for you to uh, fill out a little card of encouragement and, uh, and hope for those who are becoming. We'll be sticking those in the backpacks for kids to read as an encouragement from Church of the Palms to say, we're, we're with you, we're praying for you as you look forward to beginning another school year. So big day, so we hope you'll join us. If you can't volunteer, but you can only show up for an hour, it's worth just kind of walking around and seeing amazing things happening with these families who we get to entertain for the course of the day. So hopefully you will join us for that. And hopefully you will also be praying for our 34 high school students and advisors who piled onto a bus yesterday morning and headed up to Montreat. They're actually still heading up to Montreat, North Carolina, where they have uh, this sort of week that to end all weeks where they'll have a chance to renew their faith and be together with uh, thousands of other high school students from around the country to be encouraged and inspired in their faith. And we look forward to hearing their stories when they return. And we now continue our worship.
I'd like to invite our new members to come forward to be publicly received into membership. Great to have you all here. If you wouldn't mind turning around and facing the congregation. Say hi, congregation. <laughs> Let me introduce to you our newest members. And if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand as I call your names. And we'll put face and name together. Tony and Leela Carlton. There they are over here. And Aaron Colmer, right there in the center. Richard and Deb Lunar. And I believe the Emanions are not here. Darlene Knuckles over here. And I believe Sylvie is not also here this morning. But uh, you'll see these people's names as they are uh, listed in the insert in your uh, program. And we invite you to uh, make a point to welcome them into our life after the service. They will be making their way over to the Palm Center. And there you can receive them and welcome them into our life together. Now, having said all that, I'd like you now to turn and face me. You have uh, been through a new members class led by Dr. Brown, and you have heard about our life here at Church of the Palms and what does it mean to be a part of who we are. Do you take on together with us a mission to, uh, to love God and to love neighbor? You take on this vision that we might become over time the more loving, most loving place in town. And we are grateful that you have joined us in that effort and we look forward to working side by side with you and to uh, join together to be a reflection of the light of Christ in the world. But on your way to, toward doing that, I'd like to invite you to answer these questions, which you've already answered in the new members class, but this is a way for you to publicly reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? Yes. And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way? And will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? Yes. Well, we are delighted to hear your reaffirmation of faith by your answering those questions, and so tickled that we get to join together with you in this common mission of being Christ's light in the world. So to that end, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that we have to grow as the family of God. And we thank you, O oh Lord, for how you have been at work in the lives of these people as you have led them to this place where they would renew their relationship with you and renew their relationship with the family of faith. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you have endowed them with very particular gifts that can be set alongside of all the other gifts that are represented here, that we truly might become necessary to each other and together necessary for the world. So we pray, Lord, that you will allow our church to be that beacon of light in the world, especially in days like Day of Hope, where we wonder about how we can touch the lives of hundreds of families and wonder together about how we can be the people of grace and encouragement to those who perhaps do not hear many words of encouragement. So we pray, Lord, that we may always be as a church wondering how can we love God more and love neighbor more and wonder together how we might be a, a family of faith for those who perhaps don't understand what family is all about. We thank you, O oh Lord, that in this world that feels so often troubled, that feels so often divided, that feels so often angry, that we get to be that countervailing voice, that we get to be the voice that speaks into the chaos of order, of love and grace. So we pray, Lord, that as we embark upon these things together, that we may be empowered by your Holy Spirit and know that you are the God of light and grace for the world. All these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome to Church of the Palms. Great to have you. Now let us continue our worship to the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings. Thank you. 
Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, for your love and your generosity that we enjoy every day in our lives. As this at this moment in worship, we bring not only our love for you, but these gifts and offerings as a token of our gratitude. We pray that you'll accept these and multiply them so that this whole world may become filled with your love and grace, peace and justice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated as Deanne come forward with our children for the children's moment. Good morning, hi everybody. Hi buddy. <laughs> good morning. Oh, I like the braids. Those look really good. Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Come on down. Hi. <laughs> Poor little guy. <laughs> well, good morning. How are all of you? You guys doing okay? Okay, I have a pretty tough question to ask. Who do you trust? Does anybody know what trust means? Who do you trust? Mom. You trust your mom? It's a good choice. My parents. Yeah. Guys, they're in the audience, aren't they? Who do you trust? My family. Yeah. You trust your family. I know I've trusted my teachers and my coaches before. Anybody else? Does anyone know what it means to trust, though? That's a tough question. Yeah? What do you think? To, to believe somebody. Exactly. To rely on someone. You have to have a lot of confidence to trust in someone. Okay, so I have a thing I wanted to show you all. I have a friend, and her name is Angie. We've been friends for several years now, but one day she gave me a gift. She called it the friendship ball. Kind of cool, isn't it? Inside were different gifts. Sometimes there was candy. Sometimes there would be a warm fuzzy. Sometimes there would be just little knickknacks like a crystal or like a squashed penny. But what was cool is when she gave it to me, then I started to store up gifts for her. I would take it and I would start putting in little things for her. Eventually, I would give it back to her. So we've been trading this ball back and forth for years. But get this. Even though I haven't seen her in a year, I know that the next time I see her, she'll get this ball and she'll know that I love her and that she can trust that she'll always, will always be passing it back and forth. So in the same way, Proverbs 3, 5 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So whenever you, you know, think of prayer, think of this friendship ball that sometimes you might pray, and you won't maybe get your prayer answered when you want it or how you want it, but it's always coming, and God has amazing things stored up for you. Here, you want to pass it around? And here, let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for answering our prayers when um, your time is and how you would want to answer our prayers, Lord. Please give us the faith, the trust, and the confidence to believe in you. Thank you for this beautiful day, and thank you for everything that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's go.
You may be seated. Great to have the duo of mother and daughter back together again. Good to have you back, Daphne. Daphne's been on our staff this summer helping us out, so it's great to get you in front of everybody else. So, wonderful. We are uh, this morning returning back to the topic of prayer. This summer, we are periodically exploring the Lord's Prayer to understand the outline, the agenda that Jesus puts before us when it comes to the purpose of our prayers. And we're trying to see beyond sort of the Santa Claus approach to prayer, you know, asking God for all those things that we want without really staying around to wonder what God might want to say to us about what we need. So we began considering prayer as the conduit of this two-way relationship with God, right? A relationship through which we discover more and more about who God is, and in that discovery, then allowing the Spirit to grow us into the people that God is seeking to shape us to be. So to pray is to change was the first topic of our consideration. To enter into a conversation with God is to open ourselves up to becoming different people in our effort to become more like God. Hard to imagine, right, to enter into a conversation with God without expecting that God would do something to us, that God would shape us into a different person. So to pray is to change. That was the first thing. Then to pray is to work. We sign up in our prayers to be partners with God in bringing about God's kingdom. And then a couple weeks ago, we said to pray is to trust, trusting that God will provide us what we need as we embark upon this godly life of doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with our God. So today, we take up the next petition of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the topic of the day is to pray is to forgive. To pray is to forgive. And to guide us in this, we will look at an exchange between Jesus and Peter and the rest of his disciples found in Matthew chapter 18. And then from there, we'll take a look at some words from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. So hear the word of God as it comes to us from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. So Peter said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me. How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, no, not seven times, but I tell you seven times, 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. So did you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. And from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning at the 25th verse, 
Paul writes and says, so then putting away falsehood, let us also speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these feeble words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. When Amanda and I were away recently, we rented a car. And when you rent a car, it's your chance to learn about the latest technology that is going into cars and all the things that you're missing when you hold on to your car for a while, which is what we do. And this particular car came rented, and maybe you all have this, but came rented, it came outfitted, I should say, with a, a little light on the inside of each side of the car that whenever there was a car that crept into your blind spot, it, it sent out a little signal. It kind of, it kind of lit up. And, and then whenever you turn the indicator on, when that car was in your blind spot, it would send out another little signal, kind of like, hey, McConnell, someone's in your blind spot. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I'm talking about the blind spot, that spot behind either side of your shoulders where you can't see the car either through the rear view mirror or through the side view mirror. It was what Mr. Walney taught me about the first, over the first day of driver's education, he would actually have us park the car, sit in the driver's seat, and then he would literally walk right into our blind spot, and he would disappear. Always check your blind spot, Mr. Walney would say. Of course, pretty soon, we'll have driverless cars, and all this talk about blind spots will be beside the point. But the truth is, Talk about blind spots will never be a thing of the past when it comes to our souls. Because the truth is, one of the eternal issues when it comes to being a human being is that we all have blind spots. To be a human soul is not to see everything there is to see about ourselves and about the world around us. That there is more, in fact, that we don't notice than what we notice. We, we can be stressed and not know that we're stressed until someone says, you know, you seem kind of stressed. We can offend someone without knowing that we've offended someone. We can do something sinful and we can do the good work of convincing ourselves that it really wasn't sinful. We can, we can lie and tell ourselves, eh, not really a lie. We can gossip and say that we are passing on vital information. We can deceive ourselves, right, pretty easily. The emperor can have no clothes, but he doesn't know that he doesn't have any clothes. We all have our blind spots. And I wonder if one of the blind spots, maybe not just one of the blind spots, but the blind spot, the, the blind spot that encompasses maybe all the other blind spots, the blind spot that we all share, I think, as human beings, is something that Jesus kept talking about over and over and over again in his ministry, all the way to his very last words, and that is this need that we have for forgiveness, this need we have 
for forgiveness, this need we have to be reconciled, this need we have to be connected and then reconnected, this need we have for relationship and the restart of relationship. In their great book, A General Theory of Love, doctors Thomas Lewis, Fari Amini, and Richard Lannan, three psychiatrists, share their groundbreaking theory on the neurological need, not the spiritual need, they're not really men of faith, but the neurological need we have for relationship. The neurological need we have for connection. That, that when we are born, when humans are born, they are born with this desperate need to be connected first to their parents, of course, and then to their family, and then to their friends. A person becomes, according to these doctors, a stronger person when a person is deeply connected to other human beings. The three doctors go on to postulate that while we assume that at an early age, infants and toddlers learn to gradually become independent and that they should gradually become independent and thus need their parents less. And in doing so, we think as parents, when we are helping them to become independent, that we're actually making them stronger and tougher, when according to these doctors, we're doing the opposite. In fact, they say, we do things like making them learn to sleep on their own within the first couple of weeks after they're born. And the truth is, the doctors say, that this separation actually goes against the wiring in the brain, which derives its strength and sense of security from connection. That as we grow, our greatest pathologies form when we are prematurely or irreconcilably disconnected from our families and our friends. Now, this kind of flies in the face of the messages probably you and I both received when we were young, which was that you would develop your own strength through independence, that your solitude, your doing it on your own was making you a stronger person, better for you to be your own man or woman, better for you to be the Lone Ranger. But more and more, the research shows that the strongest human beings are the one who feel and remain with the strongest connections, the strongest relationships inside family and inside their circle of friends. So it is no surprise, right, that Jesus begins preaching about the kingdom of God and he keeps teaching about how we are to what? Love one another, how we are to honor our fathers and our mothers, how we are to respect our spouses, how we are to be reconciled to one another, how even, Jesus says, we are to love our enemy. Because, he says, it's all about the relationship. It's all about the connection. So when Peter comes to Jesus and asks him about how many times is it necessary for me to forgive my brother or sister, as many as seven times, thinking, man, he has gone way over the top. And Jesus says, seven? Really? How about 70 times seven? And we say, 70 times seven? Jesus. Isn't that a little too much? Isn't that like kind of going over, over the top? And Jesus says, there it is. <laughs> you don't see it, do you? There's your blind spot. Because you know, it's so easy right along the way. The more we get dinged and dented by life and, and dinged and dented by other people, it's just so easy to assume that we're just better off without these people. We can, we can discard them from our lives. Ah, he's just a jerk. I'll never talk to her again. And we disconnect, and we pull ourselves apart, and we, through our blind spots, think that it doesn't matter, that nothing's really happening. And, and actually, we think maybe we're getting stronger. When actually, according to Jesus and some really smart brain doctors, we're making ourselves weaker. We become our own worst enemies by keeping others as our enemies. Frederick Buechner puts it this way, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. 
to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you're given and the pain you're given back. In many ways, anger is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback, he concludes, is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So when Jesus says that when you pray, you should pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the operative word right in that phrase is what? The word as. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as if to suggest that this whole idea of forgiveness is like one of those revolving doors. You know, you, you can't stop it on one side without stopping it on the other. It, it turns one way as it turns the other, right? You can't pretend to think that you are internalizing the forgiveness of God when you are not externalizing your own forgiveness of other people. When you are unforgiving on one side, it means that you are unforgiven on the other. It's the guy in the parable, right, who's been, who's been forgiven a bajillion dollars, <laughs> who can't quite bring himself to forgive the other guy for five cents. Jesus says, something wrong here. The revolving door got stuck. So when Jesus gets strapped up on the cross and is working desperately to catch his last breath and the accusers and the conspirators and the murderers are right there at his feet, oh, I could think, I could think of a lot of things to coach Jesus to say, lots of things, lots of words I could put in Jesus' mouth that I'm not too sure would make it in the Bible. But Jesus is, is the one up on the cross and Jesus is the one who's talking and Jesus is the one who thinks to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, Jesus says this, not after these conspirators have come to their senses and asked his forgiveness. No, no, no. Jesus says this as they're in the act, as they're doing the deed. Jesus says this as they're driving in the stakes. That's, that's, that's that as word again, right? Father, forgive them as they're doing what they're doing. You see, it's always been about forgiveness. Miroslav Volf reminds us that the ancient rabbis used to speculate that before creating the world, the almighty God took a look into the future of creation and, and God saw in the future of creation beauty and truth and goodness and the joy of his creatures. And at the same time, the all-knowing God also could see the never-ending trail of tears, that stream of human misdeeds and evil, horrendous, the trail of sighs and tears and blood. If I give sinners their due, thought the Almighty One before he created the world, if I give sinners their due, I'll have to destroy the world not long after I created. What's the point of creating something that I will have to turn around and destroy? And so God decided that before he could create the world, he would have to first forgive the world. So God forgave the world so that the world could come into being. And don't you think that that may be the thing that we have the hardest time seeing, that the very foundation of the world is forgiveness, that the very existence, perhaps, of the world is forgiveness. God is forgiving the world in every moment. God is forgiving you in every moment. Even when you don't think you need forgiveness, God is forgiving you. Even when your blind spot is as big as a Mack truck, even when you think God can't even forgive you, God is still forgiving you because for God, it's always about the relationship. It's always about the connection. It's not just how you're wired and how I'm wired. It's how the whole cosmos is wired. And so the apostle says, put away from you all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all wrangling, all slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So what do we do? We, we pray, right? We pray and we pray and we pray because it's so stinking hard to forgive. As desperate as we are for God to forgive us, it's just so hard for us to turn around and forgive other people. There's just so much pride at stake. There's so much wound to heal. There's so much justice to demand. There's so much penalty to exact. There's so much grievance to air. And all those things are important. Don't hear me as dismissing those things. But to be human is to sometimes grow resentful. You know, there's just too many dings and dents. Too many dings and dents. But to pray is to change. To pray is to, is to wonder what God might be doing inside of me. To pray is to work, to, to ask for the Spirit's power to do the right thing. To pray is to trust, to trust that when Jesus says 70 times 7, he's not being ridiculous. He's actually throwing us a lifeline. It makes me think of Jacob. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament, the father of Israel? And how does that story begin, right? The story begins with Jacob deciding to betray his brother Esau. The father of Israel decides to betray his brother Esau, and I mean really betray his brother, cheats him out of everything, takes the family goods and runs off. And he leaves his brother Esau sitting there with his anger and his bitterness and his lust for revenge. And then for a long while, that's the last we hear about Esau. He's just, he's an angry man. And the story then follows Jacob as Jacob kind of wanders through Canaan, desperately trying to stay two steps ahead of his brother Esau. And then when he can wander no more, they end up intersecting each other. And now there's no escape for Jacob. Now he's got to face the music. Now he's got to meet Esau face to face with every expectation that this is the last thing he's going to do on this mortal coil. And the story holds you in suspense because you don't know what has been going on with Esau. Is he still there? Is he still stewing in his own anger? And when the two men draw close to each other, the Bible says that Esau ran to his brother and embraced him, buried his face into his neck and kissed him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened in this time when Esau is sitting there stewing in his anger. What, what happened as he was licking his wounds and devouring his own carcass? What happened between then and this moment when, without any repentance from his brother, this moment when he runs and kisses him? We don't know, except maybe to imagine that during that long stretch of time, with Esau's two-way conversation with God, that something happened that Esau couldn't have produced himself. And maybe that explains that when Jacob saw his brother, he said, to see your face is to see the face of God. So for 50 years, our friend C.S. Lewis nursed a deep wound from childhood inflicted upon him by a mean and angry headmaster who regularly beat his students to the pulp, including young Lewis. It was a pain and a resentment he never forgot and a sin he made sure never to forgive. But once encountering the living Christ at the age of 33 and deciding to intentionally follow Jesus, he knew that to follow Jesus, it meant that his forgiveness of this man was a non-negotiable. <laughs> so he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed his whole life. He prayed all the way to his very last year, his 65th year. And he wouldn't stop praying until, like, until he felt like he had truly forgiven the man in his heart who had long since died. 
And then in a letter to a friend he wrote four months before his death, Lewis said this, Do you know, only a few weeks ago I realized suddenly that I had last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my childhood. I've been trying to do it for years, and like you, each time I thought I'd done it, I found after a week or so, it all had to be attempted over again. But this time, I feel like it's a sure thing. And like learning to swim or to ride a bicycle, the moment it happens, it seems so easy, and you wonder why on earth you didn't do it years ago. So the parable of the unjust judge comes true, and what has been vainly asked for for years can suddenly be granted. And I also get a quite new feeling about what Jesus said when he said, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. Because the forgiving and the being forgiven are really the same thing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To pray is to forgive. And to forgive is to pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.